Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Give somebody a hug before you sit down. Welcome, 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 welcome to you online. Hallelujah. 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 We're going to do the Apostles' Creed. I'm sorry. I told you to sit down. My wife had to correct me again. I, I'll get this one of these years. You ready? Let's declare what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Excuse me. I believe in Jesus. Let's all start over again. Let's stand and let's declare what we believe. We're going to start from the beginning. All right? You ready? Are we ready? Are we ready? Let's do it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen, 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 amen. Now you can hug somebody and have a seat. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to thank you all and have a seat after you hug somebody. You can slap them around a little bit if you want to, but it's great to see you all today. So good to be here with you. Got half the world out of town. It's like a, uh, it's like a holiday weekend for some reason, but uh, I'm thankful for those I'm in the house of the Lord with. Amen. I want to talk to you today about divine order. Divine order. Can you say amen? Amen. Divine order. We're, of course, working our way through the book of Luke. We are in chapter 9. Today, we're, uh, I thought we'd work through a lot more quickly. There's just a lot going on in this Bible. Amen? There's a lot going on. I hope, you, I hope you've been reading along with us in Luke chapter 9. It's going to be a good day today. You know, there's a divine order of things. You know that? There's a divine order to things. Did you know that? There's a divine order of things. Did you know that? There's a divine order. God sets things in order. You know, he didn't just, you know, things aren't slapped together haphazardly. God didn't just, you know, I don't know. I think I'll just do this first. And now whatever happens, happens. Jesus isn't just rolling with the punches. He has a plan for your life. Can you say amen? Jesus actually has a plan and an order for your life. Uh, you're not just out here like a roll of the dice and God's trying to figure out, I don't know. I'll just, I'll just see if this works. God actually has a plan. And he's discipling you, and uh, he wants you to hear him so you can follow his plan and be fruitful. Can you say amen? This is God's desire for you. And it's my heart today that the, uh, the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God will work together today with my words that will get you uh, to see God's plan for your life, that you would cooperate with Jesus by his Spirit so that we can come into everything he has called us to do. This is our heart. Is that your heart today? That, that, that's my heart. In the, I remember when, when I first gave my life to Christ, everything seemed to be like a complete mystery. I didn't know this word. I didn't know his ways. I didn't know the spirit. I thought that the man of God on stage had it all figured out and that everybody knew what they were doing but me. And it felt like everybody was always living in a season of harvest except for me. And I was excited to find God's ways so I could start uh, knowing him, and I can start growing in his grace, I can start growing in his favor, and start growing in his power. And so I would read the Bible all the time, and I would pray to God, and I would ask him about every single thing that I would do. Uh, I would ask him when I woke up in the morning which way I should go. I would ask him what, you know, wh where I should be led to. I would ask him to lead my life. And then eventually one day I had a conversation with God and he, and he encouraged me to keep praying and he encouraged me to keep reading the word. But he also encouraged me to let it be settled in my life that he is actually leading me. He's actually leading my life. He's actually actively at work even when I don't discern it. Have you ever been through a tough time and then God showed up and you looked back and you recognized he was with you all along? 
Have you seen that? If you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, when you do, uh, you'll come into contact with him by, by his spirit. And Jesus will come and he'll quicken your heart. And you'll look back over your life and you'll see how much of your life there he was all along guiding you and leading you. And, and so many times we'll, we'll be um, in life and we'll be crying out to God, where are you, God? Why aren't you here with me? And then we have an encounter and we recognize that he has led us right here to this place of encounter the whole time. And then we go through another struggle and we repeat the cycle. And what we need to come into understanding is that God has a divine order. And God is setting things up in our lives in ways that we don't even see and we don't even know. You're not here by accident. Your life is not an accident. Uh, God is not up there trying to figure out how to overcome the attack of the enemy. He actually knows what's going on. And he's actually preparing you for your calling right now. And you can actually rest in the promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Can you say amen? As we get here to Luke chapter 9, there's a shift that happens in this uh, chapter uh, that you may not recognize. Up until now, <clears throat> up until here, uh, we know that Jesus was born, and then they kind of skipped through his childhood. You remember that? Uh, and then he was, uh, we see him a little bit at the temple. Uh, then we uh, find him emerging on the scene with John the Baptist. John the Baptist uh, 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 baptizes him. He goes off into the desert. And then he kind of disappears from the scene off into Galilee. Uh, Jesus leaves the place of privilege he could have had in Jerusalem and lived way out in Galilee, which is where he had his Galilean ministry. And what we see in chapter 9, there's a massive shift. Uh, we saw a little while ago that he appointed some people to be his disciples. But in chapter 9, there is a shift that he actually starts doing something with them. Have you felt that God has called you to do something, but he's not actually commissioned you to do it yet? Have you ever lived in that tension? Have you ever been in the place where you knew that you knew that you knew that God sent you to do something, but you don't see it happen yet? You know God is still alive, and you know God is still working, but you haven't seen him do it through you yet. There's that place of desire, desire, a divine wanting, this desire that God would use you for your call, but you're not actually in it yet. And you might see little dribs and drabs of it. You might see little splashes of it. And you might think, now is the time, today is the day, only to find out, not quite yet. Have you, is that, am I the only one that's ever happened to you? Is that you? Can we be honest? Is that, have you experienced that before? And there's this divine waiting, this frustration, there's this dis-ease that we're not in what God wants. Well, here in verse 9, this starts, to, excuse me, chapter 9, this starts to shift for the disciples. But in chapter 9, we also start to, start to get a little more theologically uh, 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 deep here in our studies. There's this, there's this tension that we start to discover in the Word as we dig in. And, and there's this balance. They start to unpack Christology and discipleship. So up until now, uh, we've studied Christology as we go through the first eight chapters of the book of Luke. Christology, of course, is a study of who is Jesus? What is his nature? What is his role in the Godhead? What is his role in the world? And, and, and up till now, they've been trying to answer this question, who is Jesus? Of course, we know he is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. He is God become flesh. He is the second person of the Trinity, a co-heir, uh, we're co-heirs with him, but he is fully God and fully man. He is not lower than the Father. He is one with the Father. He is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. We, but we see with his coming that he is the Messiah that had been promised all along, that he was born of a virgin, that he is divine in nature. All the prophecies that we had studied early in the book of Luke point towards his Messiahship that had been prophesied as Mary and Zechariah and others prophesied over Jesus and, and, and in the miraculous birth. And so, so we have this Christology thing kind of worked out, but what we haven't had worked out yet is what we call discipleship in the church. Jesus is Jesus, but what does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with me? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be one who's being discipled by him? 
And uh, what, what, we, what we lack a lot in our church circles and discipleship is we, we do a fair amount of discipleship on how to read his books. We don't do as much discipleship on how to hear and follow Jesus. How do we hear and follow Jesus? And somehow we think these two things are separate, Christology and discipleship. I can learn of who Jesus is. I can become very headstrong in the knowledge of Christ, but not actually be heart transformed into being a disciple of Jesus. You know, even the enemy knows who Jesus is, but the enemy is certainly not a disciple. Many people go off into seminary and they lose their faith. Because they start studying what it means to be fully understood in the writings of Jesus. And they lose the divinity of Jesus. I, you know, uh, I started um, seminary later in life. And I have a, a pastor in my life who said to me, hey, uh, he got concerned for me. And he called me and he said, hey, I want you to, you know, you know be careful. Make sure you keep your faith. And I said, brother, my faith is rooted in the fact that I know Jesus Christ. My faith is not rooted in any book. It's not rooted in any teaching. It's not rooted in any theology. My faith is rooted in the fact that Jesus Christ, come on somebody, that Jesus came and saved me from a fiery hell, that Jesus came and transformed my life and filled me with his spirit. That is what my faith is based upon. He's not, my faith is not based upon Jesus helping me win the lottery. My faith is not based upon that my children are healthy. My, my faith is not built upon the success of a ministry or the success of a business or my bank account. My faith is not based upon the fact that the earth keeps spinning and that the moon doesn't crash into the ocean. My faith is based upon the fact the, the fact that I met Jesus Christ and he transformed my life. That is what my faith is based upon. And at, at some point, you got to come to the place. There's going to be a place, a crisis in your life. And you're going to have to define for yourself, who is Jesus Christ? Who is he really? Because when you're on the mountaintop, it's easy to say that Jesus is Lord. When you're in all kinds of victories, it's easy to say that Christ is King. If you grew up in a Christian home and uh, your parents have been taking care of your whole life, it's easy to say, I know that, you know, a sweet baby Jesus is my, is my Savior. But and when you're in the pit, when you're in the valley, when all the accoutrements of life are not there any longer and you're not living in the lap of luxury and sickness might visit your home and the enemy has plotted a plan against your future, that is when you find out who Jesus Christ really is in your life. You say amen. amen. Your faith will be tested with fire here on this side of eternity. Amen. Your faith will be tested with fire on this side of eternity. And it is important that we get it settled in our heart. Who is Jesus Christ and what does it mean to follow him? Do we need to get that decided in our heart before the fire comes? Because the testing is coming for each of us. Jesus promised it. And so in this Christology and discipleship, there's the, to put it down into, into layman's terms, there is believing and there's doing. There is believing and there is doing. And there's whole branches of Christianity that only care about believing. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is understand the right stuff, to think the right things, to say the right words. All we need you to do is believe as if uh, the heaven and hell is the only purpose of our salvation. And, and there is a purpose to believing. But Jesus talked a whole lot about doing. There's a whole lot about doing. And what we find out is our believing and doing have to be intertwined. And as a matter of fact, if you want to know what you believe, look at what you're doing. Because what you're doing is dictated by what you actually believe. People say, you know, my pastor, I've been doing this, but that's not really who I am. And I'm like, actually, this is who you are. You just need to come to the realization, this is who I really am. And I need Jesus Christ to come and transform me into who I'm supposed to be. Say amen. This is who I am right now. This is, this is where I found myself. This is, this is where my faith is. We need to be real with God about who we are and where we are and where we find ourselves in this human condition so His, his uh, divinity can come and touch our humanity so we can be transformed into His likeness. This is the goal of the gospel. The gospel is not just to uh, pay a penalty that you couldn't pay on your own, even though it is that. And the gospel is not just good news to the poor, though it is that. The gospel is that the the divine, the, the very one who is other than us, Jesus Christ, the Holy One, sent His Spirit so He can come and live on the inside of us and transform who we are and what we do with that 
identity. Can you say amen? amen? This is why Christ came. And so Christology is important and, and, and discipleship is important, but we need to get them together so that what we do reflects who we are and who we believe Jesus Christ to be. And this is what we're going to dig into today. Luke chapter 9, we're starting verse 1. You got your Bible, you can join me there. Verse 1, and it says, And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff nor a bag, nor bread nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? Amen, amen, amen. amen. I, I believe God wants to activate some people today. I believe that God wants to do something by his spirit in some lives today. And so I, I need you to kind of join me on this journey. Amen. I'm going to need you to be vocal for the people who are online and can't be vocal through the speaker who are just at their computer yelling amen. You might want to type amen, but in here, I need you to say amen. You say amen. I need you to be alive and I need you to be awake. I need you to engage the word of God. I need you to engage the spirit. I need you to, I need you to be active in your faith this morning so that God can move. You say amen. Amen. This is what we're doing. Yeah, amen. Come on. Come on. Let's clap your hands. We are going to call in response. I'll do this all day. Hallelujah. Let me tell you this. <clears throat> Jesus Christ has always been a healer. Jesus has always been a healer. He is a healing God. No matter what uh, doctrine you hear, no matter what has been taught, that maybe that was just for then, but now is different. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Say amen. Jesus Christ is the same. He has not changed. He has always been a healer. When they prophesied him coming, they declared that there would be healing in his wings. They declared that the Messiah would come and be a healer. Jesus showed up on the scene healing people, and then he ascended into heaven, and he sent the Spirit, and he told us to be healers, and his Spirit is still healing today. He's still healing. And I'm telling you, whatever you are dealing with today, whatever you are afflicted with today, Jesus Christ is still a healer. He is still a deliverer. He is still the promise keeper. He is still the one who brings you out of Egypt into the promised land. His nature has not changed. I've gotten amazing testimonies recently of people who've been delivered from emotional issues in their life with a divine encounter with Jesus. And I believe if you are dealing with depression or anxiety or, or your, your brain is escaping you at times, if you're getting foggy, or maybe you're just carrying the trauma that has happened in this last season of our nation and the world and our church, that Jesus Christ comes and he heals. Can you say amen? I've seen it happen, and I'm watching it happen, and I'm going to see it happen again. I'm prophesying, even over you, that Jesus Christ, the healer, has been sent to set you free from every affliction of the enemy, from every trauma of the world, from every lie of the devil that has afflicted your soul. He will set you free. Amen. Amen. But we got to have things in divine order. When we don't have divine order, we get the enemy's plan. We need to submit to divine order. We need to submit to God's plan. We need to give our lives to Christ and let him know that he's the one who's in charge. Let's, 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 let's look at the word here. Let, let's look over this. Um, you know, Jesus, since he has always been a healer, we see in, in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 40, it said, While the sun was setting, all those who had, who had any... I'm going to say this all again. While the sun was setting, all those who were sick with various diseases, brought them to Jesus, and laying his hands on each of them, he was healing them. Can you say amen? Let me show you another aspect of healing. Verse 41. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, you are the son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. Now, I, some, some of us, yeah, come on. No, no, that's good. S sometimes our healing is physical. 
Sometimes it's physical. There, is, there are physical ailments in bodies. There are physical ailments uh, in, in brains that cause certain uh, emotional issues. There's, there's, there's physical problems that could be with your kidney that cause different issues in your body. There, there's physical. There, we are physical beings. And there are physical things that a physical Jesus wants to physically heal. And he'll do it supernaturally. You may say, well, pastor, well, if you believe that so much, why do you wear glasses? Because I'm not healed yet in my vision, right? Believing that you're not healed does not mean you don't believe for healing. God did not call us to live in some sort of weird fantasy land where we deny the truth. The truth is that Jesus Christ is a healer. And in this moment, he could heal my vision. And if he does, I'll take the glasses off. But the glasses aren't keeping Jesus from healing my vision. Like, like God is God, and we are not. And Jesus is not going to be kept from uh, healing you because you're wearing a hearing aid, or you walk with a cane, or you go to a doctor. That's not how healing works. It's not what it says in the Bible. Jesus heals because he is a healer. And you have not been healed yet because it's not your moment yet. But today could be the day for you right now, so we want to stay in faith. So I put my glasses on every day, but I hope they don't work when I put them on. Amen. But sometimes, sometimes, sometimes healing is in your soul. Sometimes the trauma of life has plagued your soul, and now the way you see the world has been perverted by the attack of the devil. Sometimes if maybe you were, maybe you were assaulted or you were hurt or you were injured, and, 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 and now you expect people to hurt you. Kind of a, a, a relational PTSD. Like, like, like you went through trauma, and now after this trauma, it's hard for you to trust. So in your soul, you may need to do physical things to fix your soul, like stop meditating on the lie, or stop listening to gossips, or stop listening to people who are giving you a bad report. But another aspect of that, Jesus Christ can heal your mind. Can you say amen? Jesus Christ can come in and absolutely change how your brain works. He can deliver you from depression. He can deliver you from anxiety. He can deliver you from worry. He can deliver you uh, from meditating on the lie. Spiritually, he can come and heal your soul. But at the same point, sometimes it's just an attack of the devil. The devil is still alive and at work and does not want you to flourish. The devil, the devil works within our weaknesses, perverting our values. He perverts uh, the qualities that we are supposed to have. He perverts how we relate to one another. And the Bible talks time and time again about God wanting to free you from the attacks of the devil. Can you say amen? And I believe today also that the Lord is going to deliver some people. Now, last week, we talked about this a little bit, and I saw people get delivered from the enemy. But I believe sometimes the attack comes in ways that we do not recognize, and we're going to talk about that a little bit as well. But here's what I want you to come away with. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. It says that Jesus called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. He called them, he gave them, and he sent them. He called them, he gave them, and he sent them. All three of those things are important. We can't follow two of God's commands and think we're getting all of God's blessings. We can't, we can't follow half the words that Jesus tells us and thinks we're going to get all of the promises in our lives. We got to be all in or not in at all. We got to be fully in. We can't be partially committed to our spouse. Does anybody want to get at the altar? And there's the preacher and there's the man and the woman. And the woman says, you know, I promise to be faithful a good 355 days a year. Who's signing up for that marriage? I promise that I'm going to love you a good 360 days a year. I'm going to love you faithfully, I promise you. Maybe six, seven hours a week, I'm not sure about, but all the rest of the week, I'm all in. Is anybody, is anybody signing up for that? Is anybody signing up for that relationship? Anybody say, yeah, count me in. That's, that's good enough. You know, I've had nobody in, you know, six and a half days out of the week. That ought to be enough, right? I'm not signing up for that. Are you signing up for that? No. No, you're not signing up for that. Jesus isn't either. Jesus is not signing up for that kind of wedding. He's signing up for a bride who is committed to him and his word. This is who he's calling. He's calling people to listen and follow him. 
This is what he's looking for from us. He's looking for a people who will hear him, receive him, and do what he tells them to do. This is, this is what discipleship looks like. This is what God is looking like from us. And here's how I want to say it. The words of Jesus matter. The words of Jesus matter. We can get just so familiar with Jesus. We can get so familiar. Mm. I feel like I'm plowing here today. I feel like I'm plowing a little bit, but but, 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 but it's okay because I I have a harvest I want to see. I'm willing to plow because there's a harvest I want to see in your life. And I'm willing just to plow and bust ground here today. I believe that God has you here today because he wants to set you free from something. And I believe that the enemy don't want to set some people free. And some people just like, I don't must be talking to the person next to me. Now, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. If I'm talking to me, I know I'm talking to you, right? And he's the one who gave me the word. Come on, somebody. The words of Jesus matter. The words of Jesus matter. And we would all say amen to that, right? But we need to live like his words matter. We need to live like his words matter. Sometimes we listen to most of his words or some of his words. The words that we like, we write them down in a journal and we put them on a shelf and then they're never visited again. Like, like, is it the word of Jesus or was it not the word of Jesus? My wife has convicted me of this. Like, she, is, she has gone in on me about this. She has rebuked me, encouraged me, all kinds of stuff. Like, you need to meditate on the word of God over your life, Carl. You need to meditate on what Jesus says about you. What Jesus says is all that matters. Come, that, that, that has to mean something. Let me, let, me, let, and, and let, let me tell you what I'm doing with this. Oh, boy. Well, it is what it is. It is what it is. Here's where we go. So in my, in my phone, I want, I'm going to give you just a little bit of... <clears throat> I use... I'm an Android guy, right? Just because right. I'm a little smarter than the average. So I'm, a, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I'm an Android guy. So um, I, I, got a, I got an iPad right there. I, got, you know, I own two iPads and a, and a MacBook. But, you know, but I'm an Android guy. Um, and so I have Google Keep. You have notes, I think, if you're... And so pinned to the top of my little Google Keep, I have words that the Lord has spoken over me. Promises that he's given me. I need to look at them. What is the word of the Lord over your life? So I got, the, I got, I got, I got this written word right here that's for everybody. I got this written word that's for everybody. Then I got this spoken word that he spoke to me that's just for me. Now, of course, this has to line up with this. But this is, is, is like, like, like he probably tells you stuff on purpose. What do you think? You think he probably tells you stuff on purpose? Like he probably spoke something to you because you needed to hear it. Not because he was bored and just wanted to chat with somebody. You ever just get bored and you're just chatting with somebody? Like I do this all the time. Like Duke and I will get on the phone and we'll just talk and I'll be like, oh, look, we just preached to each other an hour and a half. All right, I got to go now. I got stuff to do. Christopher and I, I don't know, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're in a hard place, and like you're, if you're like, man, I, I don't know, call Christopher. Because Christopher will just, there's an anointing on Christopher's life, and you will just talk. You will just, come on, amen, that's his pastoral anointing on his life. And you will just talk, and the Lord will be there, and he'll just be listening, not talking. And you're just talking, and talking, it's like being drawn out of you. That's like this pastoral anointing, and then he'll just say a couple words. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, no. Lord says this, and then you just talk. You're like, I feel better. You didn't even talk. I just heard me. That's just the Holy Ghost right there, right? Like, but that's not Jesus. Jesus isn't just bored and wants, you know, eh, I don't know. Let me call up Christopher because I feel like talking. You know, like, like, no, like, he, he talks to you because there's something you need to know. There's something he's imparting. He's, he, he, there's something that he's establishing. There's something that, that matters. And so he's talking in your life. And so the words that he speaks to us matter and they are important. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You're like, I get it, Pastor. No, no. Let me, let me tell you why I'm beating this. this. Um, there, there, there is a whole wave of people that I know and love that this word has not been important. And all of a sudden, what pops in their head becomes more important than what's in this book. And then, and then, then they find themselves living in hell on earth, wondering why, why God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Because this, this was not important, more important than this and this. This word of God has to be the most important thing in your life. What God has spoken establishes truth. Everything else is a lie. And someone who lives contrary to this and say they've heard God, they're living on it. Come on, somebody, they're living a lie. 
And if we love people, we will turn them back to his word. We will turn them back to what he has spoken so their lives can be established in truth. You cannot get God's best while living according to Satan's principles. It will not happen. It will not happen. I've seen more people consumed by the enemy because they just somehow thought that maybe these words were temporary in their lives and it's okay to gossip because they feel self-righteous in their gossip. And then they wonder what's like, what? like of course your heart is dark. Of course your heart is cold. You've, you've, you've left his word and you've gone off into your emotions and you've established something other than God's divine order in your life. You say amen. amen. This is hard preaching, yeah? I'm grieved though. I'm watching the church all over America and all over the world being consumed by lies, by the crafty tricks of the devil to tell them, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what about that? Well, what about that? I'm like, man, you sound like the devil in the desert to me. You don't sound like the word of God. And quoted a scripture once. I haven't quoted any kind of Bible. I don't feel life on this. I don't feel the anointing of God. I don't see people getting set free. I just see you doubting God. And if you doubt God today, man, you're in a good place. Because talking to God is the best place to be when you doubt. You just, 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 just have a communication with him. You're in a place of freedom. You are a place of anointing. And I declare the blood of Jesus is over this place. And he will set hearts free from deception. You say amen. amen. I'm plowing. I'm, I'm just going to keep on plowing. We're going to let the truth be established in here. Come on, somebody. We're going to let the truth be established in here. We're going to get set free. Yes, 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 yes. What is this man going on about? I'm going on about Jesus. This is what I'm going on about. Hallelujah. God has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We can follow God's ways. We can follow his ways because he anoints us as he sends us. And so, so Jesus, he, he calls them. He empowers them, and he sends us. That, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. What it looks like to be a follower of Jesus is we hear him. He empowers us to do things, and then we go do them. You cannot separate the believing and the doing. You cannot separate the believing and the doing. If you're not doing, it's probably because you're not believing, right? There's a lot of people doing things that God never told them to do. They have broken the cycle. They call themselves disciples, but, but their Christology is completely destroyed. They're not empowered by the Spirit of God. They're empowered by their own soul. And because they're getting an amen from the people around them, nah, it must be God. It's not God. We want to be followers of Jesus. Discipleship is learning what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what discipleship is. And so as these disciples are being sent out, Jesus is, Jesus is preparing them. He's, he's preparing them for their commission. So, so many times when we read this passage, we focus on the description less than we focus on the actual words of Jesus, right? So I'm Pentecostal. I've preached this a bunch of times. You've preached it probably. You've probably believed it. You've probably talked about it, that Jesus uh, equipped them and uh, empowered them and he sent them. Uh, but that's, that's Luke talking, paraphrasing what Jesus said. And then he quotes Jesus. See, the words in red are important. The words in red are the most important words in this entire book. The words in red are important. Here's what Jesus says. <clears throat> Luke 9, verse 3. You ready? You ready? He said, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money. Not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. Whoa, wait, what's, what's that about? The first, the first words of discipleship that Jesus gave after he commissioned these people, he didn't, he didn't give them a, a five-step prayer model for healing, right? He didn't tell them how to build their, their, their uh, itinerant ministry. He didn't give them, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. He didn't give them leadership studies. What did he tell them? Here's what he told them. You need to radically trust that I'm with you. Wow. If you're going to go do what Jesus called you to do, you're going to have to radically trust Jesus. Jesus is looking for radical trust. This is the very first thing he tells us. We need to radically trust him. You say, well, pastor, 
says right there, you believe in healing. And he says, don't take up staff, but you took an offering. I don't understand what happened. Well, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus rescinds this part of it for the disciples. He said, in that day, I told you not to bring a bag or a tunic, but now get some money because you're going to need it, right? But, 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 but the principle remains at the beginning of your discipleship journey, he is looking for radical trust. He's not really interested in your plans. He's not looking for your plan, how you're going to get into ministry. Maybe you got it all figured out in your head and you're working hard and how you're going to make that happen. He's not interested. What he's looking for is radical trust. He's looking for radical obedience. And let me tell you this, the anointing accelerates the discipleship. When you get around the anointing of God, when you get around the Spirit of God, when, when, when that glory comes in the room, when you value the prophetic word over your life, when you enter into worship and you see that supernatural thing that starts happening, there's a, a maturity that begins to happen in your spirit, man. But we have to make sure that we live out of that maturity and not out of the carnality that is in the world that we come back to. We cannot confuse the carnal wisdom of the world as the wisdom of God. We have to make sure that we stay tapped in. And so this discipleship is learning what it looks like to follow Jesus. We need to trust God for provision because provision is the God of this world. Provision is the God of this world. It's the God of America. It's biblically, the spirit is called mammon. And God wants you to not live a life focusing on money. He wants you to focus on Jesus. And you say, well, should I, should I quit my job? Should I not run my business? Well, absolutely not. That is, that is not what Jesus is saying. But what he is saying is money is a, an amazing tool, but it's a terrible master. It is a terrible God. It is a terrible life goal. It is an amazing tool to be used for kingdom good, though. Amen? You can do a lot of good with it, but you serve it. You can't serve it and God. And so we're to trust God. And so I have to ask you at this moment, like you came into a relationship with Jesus Christ where he began to like begin to overshadow everything. And I, and I would ask you, as I asked myself this morning, are you still desperate for God? Are you still desperate for his presence? Is, are, is your life at a place where where, where you would do anything God would tell you to do, where, 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 where you would say, whatever it is, God, I, I hold everything in my life with an open hand, everything that you've given me, everything you want me to do, everything that I've heard in the past, every promise, every, every, every important relationship, every provision, it's here in my hand and my hand is open. Take it out whenever you want because I fully trust you. If you're not at that place today, no condemnation, no, 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 no judgment, no, no shame. But begin to pray into that a little bit. What, what am I scared of? Why don't I trust Jesus in these things? Why, why have these things in my hands become idols? This is how we find out who our real God is. When something's taken from us, how do we react? Now, when you lose people, we should mourn. We, we should absolutely mourn. When we lose things, we should mourn. When we're violated with injustice, we should mourn. But we mourn knowing that we have a God of the resurrection. We, we were sad knowing that God can restore all things. We, 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 we mourn knowing that God said that our latter days shall be greater than our former days. We mourn knowing that though sorrow may come at night, there is joy in the morning. Can you say amen? We mourn knowing that our God is the God of the resurrection. And so in the midst of what you're mourning right now, are you still desperate for God? Or are you desperate for how things used to be? I don't want to live in the past. I want to live in the present with Jesus. Let's keep going through our little scripture here. Let's just keep going through our little Bible study. Chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus continues his words. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. That's a, that's a funny verse, isn't it? It's a funny verse, right? That's a funny verse, right? It's a funny one from Jesus. Well, there was this, um, in Jewish history, there's this um, ritual that if you leave the Holy Land of Israel and you go off into the Gentile lands, maybe for work, maybe for whatever reason, I don't know why they would travel, but People travel. When you come back into the Holy Land, when you come in, you shake that 
defiled dirt off your feet. It's about sanctification, right? It's about, it's about, it's about, I'm not bringing that fallen nature into God's promise. I'm not bringing what is not holy into what is holy. I don't want to defile my land with their sin. Are, are, are you with me here? And so Jesus here in, 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 uh, in his ministry commissioning, it's so interesting in the midst of his giving them power and authority, he tells them about how to guard their soul about being rejected. Wow. He talks about how to guard your soul about being rejected because when you become a real follower of Jesus, you'll know because you'll experience rejection. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There is an enemy that we are to reject and a savior that we are to embrace. And as you begin to live for Christ, as, as the doing happens in your life, there will be a real cost, a relational cost at times in your life. Let me say it this way. You, you, can't, you can't do this thing better than Jesus did. And they killed him. You can't do this thing better than Paul did. You can't do this thing better than Peter did. You can't do this thing better than James, the brother of Jesus, did. You, 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 you're not going to be able to get this thing better. So if we're really believing and doing, then the doing will look like something different than the world that the world at times will reject because they don't want what's in them to be touched by what's in you. And so they will reject you so that you will compromise so you will be with them. Let me put it another way. What they want you to do is drag a little bit, a bit of their defilement into your life so they can feel comfortable walking into your life. When our role is to bring what's holy in our life into their life, which is defiled, so they can get a hunger for the real holy place of God. And so Jesus switches it up a little bit here. There, there was Israel, the holy nation, and then the Gentile nations, which were defiled. But Jesus said it a little bit, a little bit different. He changed the rules. As, as, as we saw last week, how he was upending kind of governmental economic systems. Now he's upending uh, geographical systems. Now he's saying where my will is received is my kingdom. And where my will is not received is not my kingdom. Where my word is loved is where I am king. And where my word is rejected is defiling. Am I doing okay, honey? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not preaching angry, am I? Am I doing okay? Okay, good. My wife is my, my she's my, my uh, anger detector there. Hallelujah. Jesus told them. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. He said, uh, he says, he said uh, for if we've become united with him in a likeness of his death, certainly we also in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, we die with Jesus knowing that he can resurrect us. But we die daily with Jesus. Here, here's something I want you to know in your life right now. Maybe you're going through a season of pruning. The Lord not too long ago gave me a word. Uh, okay. He told me not to tell it to you. So I'll give it to you some other time. <laughs> but let me tell you this. He said, that was for you. I was like, okay, that's for me. <laughs> so we live in a culture that much like Israel in that day, that if God is with you, everything will get better. If God is with you, you'll get richer, you'll get lighter, you'll get more popular, You'll get more successful. Your life will be easier. The only problem is there's parables of God pruning. There's, there's parables of God's correction. There's parables of God's discipline. And the Lord visited me, and he had a conversation with me not too long ago. And he said, uh, he talked about what's holy and, and what's spiritual and, and what's righteous and what's God's divine order. And one of the things he said to me, he said, you know, in, in your, he said, you have to be careful because in your culture, you, you, you celebrate the season of blossom. You, you celebrate the season of fruit. But the fruit is no more spiritual than the pruning. Now, you don't drive around Boca Raton and look at, oh, look at all these plants that aren't taken care of. We don't celebrate, oh, look, look, they haven't trimmed those bushes. We got a, we got a, we got a house in our neighborhood that's under foreclosure that we hope forecloses very, very soon. Uh, and, 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 and they fix, they fix it, Right? And they don't take care of it anymore, right? The house is not being taken care of. Uh, I don't think they've paid electricity in a year. There's no electricity there. People are always out front. 
the, the, the yard looks crazy. Plants, you, you have a picture in your mind of what it looks like, right? There's no grass in the yard. That, that's, that's, that's how you know. I, I remember I lived in uh, California. You drive in California, you don't know when you get in the hood. You just don't know because it all, it all looks nice, right? Just beautiful. Just everything looks nice. You don't know. Florida, I would tell them, you know you get in the hood in Florida because there's no grass, right? Like you just, you get in the hood and there's no grass. Everybody's got sand in their front yard. You're like, ah, anybody know what I'm talking about? Can anybody testify? Can anybody testify? That's how you know. You know you're in the hood because there's no grass. Am I right? Am I right? I see you laughing. Am I right? There's no grass. You don't want to pull up on that front lawn. You will never get out. Number fleas. That's it. That's it. The whole yard is fleas and stickers. Stickers and fleas, right? Am I right? Because there's nobody tending the garden. There's nobody tending the garden. And so we look at all the plants in Boca and in South Florida, we look amazing because they're, they're constantly being pruned. They're constantly being trimmed so they can be as fruitful as possible. Uh, a guy moved in the neighborhood and he's like, you know, how do I get grass in my lawn? I was like, you two things. Here's what you need to do. You need to water it regularly and just cut it. If it's green, cut it, right? Like that's all you got to do. You got to cut it every two weeks and water. In Florida, you'll, I mean, it may not be the most beautiful grass, but the whole lawn will be covered with green. But if you don't take care of it, if you don't regularly cut it, the weeds will choke out any grass that you have, and you will not have grass in your lawn. It will look nasty. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any homeowners in here know what I'm talking about? That's what you got to do. You got to water it, and you got to cut it. And in the kingdom, we celebrate all the time everything that's blossoming, but we don't somehow celebrate the cutting. You don't cut your grass, then the weeds choke it out. You don't cut your plants, they don't flourish right. They don't produce the right fruit. They shades out all the inner branches. It doesn't grow healthy. The, the, the mold can grow in it, and, and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't flourish anymore. And the Lord said, you know, you, you, you think that, it's, that just the flourishing, the, the, the flowering is spiritual, but the flowering is no more spiritual than the pruning. Now, those of you who are in a season of pruning, celebrate. The new growth comes from where you were pruned. That's where the new growth comes from. Many plants, you have to cut them way down to the base because then they'll produce many branches. Where you just have one branch up the top, you chop off the top, and then all these branches come out. And then they become beautiful. You're like, Lord, I want to be beautiful, but we don't submit to the discipline of God. We got to submit to the discipline of God so we can bear the fruitfulness of God. Are you with me? All right, I'm almost done here. I've gone long. Uh, forgive me here for a second. So there's this, uh, there's this believing and there's doing. There's this pruning and there's this blossoming. You know you're a disciple by what you're doing. Not everything you do benefits you. Not everything you do benefits what you think you're going to because God has you on a plan you don't know. I want to encourage you today. God has you on a plan you don't know. And so you can't take everybody's rejection as confirmation uh, that you're doing it wrong. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't say anywhere that, but it does say beware if everybody says that you're right. Because you have circled yourself with people who are as deceived as you are. As deceived as you are. And so we, 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 you better have some people in your life who can correct you. And you better stay still long enough to see if it's you. Jesus told him, preach the gospel, cast out devils, heal the sick. And so, I just, I mean, I, let me just say this one more time. I feel like some of you, some of you like this approval addiction has you trapped in defiled lands that God never had you to live in. We sit around taking nonsense because you have not learned that it's spiritual sometimes to shake the dust off your feet and move on. That you speak the word of truth, and if they do not receive the word of truth, you shake the dust off your feet and you move on. The Bible's very clear how you deal with conflict, but Jesus here is saying, when my word is clear and people do not want to receive me, do not waste too much time there because I've got a mission for your life. So they went to visit others, but they didn't bring the defilement home. 
Psalm 26 says, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. That's a good word. I don't sit with deceitful men. I don't go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall, watch this, wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord. So I will go out into your defilement, and I'll engage you, but I will not enter into your system of lies. I'll let you know that I don't believe it, uh, and I will wash my hands in innocence and go back to God so I can be refilled. Those of you who are missionaries here, those of you who really feel like you're missionaries in South Florida, you feel like you are a missionary and evangelist in this area, man, there are two things that you got to do. You got to continue to stand on the word of God, no matter how many people uh, disagree with you, and you have to spend time in the secret place getting refilled. If you are regularly uh, engaging those who do not have faith in Christ, you better spend time in the presence of God, getting your heart healed, getting refilled, getting refined, getting refired, letting the fire of God cleanse your heart so you can walk in truth and love. Say amen. Amen. I feel like that's a good word. Verse 6, it says, departing. Come on up here, band. He says, departing. They began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Come on. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, I wasn't sure exactly what to preach this morning. I had two messages. This was the first third of one of them. I've decided to just preach this. Here's what I want you to know. God could do miracles through your life when you radically trust him. I'm going to say it again. God can do miracles through your life when you radically trust him. God could do miracles through your life when you radically trust him. Hallelujah. God could do miracles in your life when you radically trust him. God can do miracles through your life when you radically trust Him. You get a prophetic word for someone, you feel like a fool. Ah, I don't want to. That's that's. I'm going to feel so. I don't know. I had a word for somebody this week. I had a word for him. I felt like, gosh, I cannot call them about that. That's. Oh my God, that's going to be so weird. Do you ever like give somebody like a word and you're like kind of beating around the bush? You don't want to just come out and say it. You kind of like just kind of, kind of dropping hints, hoping that they'll, they'll say it before you do. Is it, is it just me? Yeah? You ever done that? Like you want to tell somebody something, you're kind of beating around the bush. And so I'm like, oh, so hey, yeah, hey. Huh? You kind of came up in prayer. <clears throat> Wanted to let you know. We're not even close. You're a woman and I'm a man, and uh, we don't know each other that well. But uh, your name came up in prayer, and uh, I kind of, kind of like, didn't walk in full faith and just kind of gave a little part of it. And they're like, "Well, spend time with Jesus. Maybe you'll get a download on what all that means." I said, "Well, actually, <laughs> actually." I remember we talked one time and you told me this story and the Lord brought that story up in prayer as I was in prayer and I heard the trauma that was afflicted upon your soul in the midst of that story and the Lord knows that you endured trauma and I just believe that the Lord sees that you're still carrying trauma from what that person did to you and it's not something in your mind, it's not something you're making up, it's not because you can't move past it, it's actual trauma and Jesus wants to come and heal your heart and deliver you from that trauma and I'm just praying in the name of Jesus that his spirit would come along and would heal your life of that trauma and you would be as refined as gold and you would walk in your calling and it would not be defiled by the sin of that man. That's actually what I wanted to call and tell you. And she said, oh my God, I just started therapy this week because of that season in my life. Now I see that God is in it. Can you thank God for being good? Can you thank God for being good? God can do miracles through your life when you radically trust Him. 
is that I felt awkward telling you that because we're not this kind of close. But the truth is, maybe I'm the only person in her life. hears God and trusts his word, trusts his deliverance. And so I had to radically obey and step out and give that prophetic word so the Lord could release his healing in that life. Let me ask you today, maybe you're the only person in these people's lives who actually hears God, who hasn't been defiled by the enemy, who came out of those seasons and knocked the dust off their boots and didn't let that defilement dictate how they minister in the future. Didn't become jaded, didn't become bitter, didn't become offended. Maybe God didn't come through for you in a season of ministry and you've learned how to be healed from it and still trust God. Maybe you're trusting in your life for a, a, a child or maybe you're trusting for a business or maybe you're trusting for a business and Maybe the business closed or the ministry didn't take off or God forbid there was a miscarriage. Maybe you've had a spiritual miscarriage. Maybe you've had a relational miscarriage. Have you learned to shake the dust off your boots and move forward? To trust God to heal you? I'm here to tell you if you've been through anything and Jesus rescued you, he gave you a ladder. He came down into your pit on a ladder and he pulled you out and now he gave you a ladder to get down and help somebody else in the same predicament to bring that faith of yours into someone else's trial so you can help them ascend to a higher place we believe that the purpose of being connected meeting encountering being transformed by Jesus is so that people can encounter the presence and power of God so we can make a difference in other people's lives who are stuck in pits. And we can't just say, well, I believe that Jesus delivers while we watch them drown in the pit. I believe that God gets people out of those hard situations while we turn our back and walk away. What we believe has to be connected to what we do. Because as you do, you're empowered to believe. Come on, somebody. As you do, you're empowered to believe. And as you believe, you're empowered to do. If you don't connect the two, it's just a fantasy. If you don't do something with what God has told you, it's just, it's just a dream. But as you begin to walk in obedience with God, His anointing comes and equips you to do things you never could do on your own. And if you don't take steps of faith, you will limit your relationship to, with Jesus to what you could do without Him. And we have to live for more. Stand with me if you would. <clears throat> just do me a favor if you would. If you're uncomfortable, you don't have to. But just kind of put your hands out in front of you and close your eyes. And, <clears throat> and if you're brave, I want you to pray the prayer, Lord. You can put anything into these hands you want and you can take out anything that you want. It's all yours. For some of you, he's going to pull sin out of your life. For some of you, he's going to deliver you. Ha, whoa, wow, 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 wow. For some people, he's going to give you a roadmap to the land of the living. But he's going to put in your hand a requirement to live healed. To live whole. That the next time the devil comes whispering in your ear that it's not going to work out or you're going to, they're all going to know and talk about you or you're going to die or you're going to say, no, 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 actually I got a roadmap out of this. I trust God. That even, even if this doesn't work, I know he'll be with me. Sheba. Father, in the name of Jesus, go ahead and put your hands out. Close your eyes and ask him. Ask Him. I want you to see. Lord, you can take out whatever you want to take out. You can put in whatever you want to put in. But I want to live in divine order. I want to live lined up with your word. 
with the purpose for my life. Whoa. Unless a seed is planted in the dirt and dies, it will not flourish. You have to be willing to let that thing die. You have to be willing to let it die. If it does not die, there cannot be a resurrection. Oh, just keep praying. God is talking. It's all yours, Lord. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. So just ask him, take out whatever you want to take out. For some of you, he's asking, you need to dust the dirt off your feet of that broken relationship that you've been trying to drag on. Some of you had a best friend. And the seasons of life have changed. And maybe you were in high school together and they're your best friend. And now they're living crazy. Well, now you're a missionary. You're friends, but you're a missionary. I don't know who that's for. And they can't have the access to your heart they once had. Because your lives are not built on the same book. Don't let their defilement defile you. Other people, you had a good friend and they fell into sin and you you wrote them off. And the Lord may put them back in your hand and say, I want you to be brave and bring them the word of God. Bring deliverance and healing. Bring my word. So, Father, now I ask that you would place in each of our hands, ha, your anointing, your presence. Whoa. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. I just declare the oil, the anointing, dripping into your hands. Wow. Right now. Fathers, we talked about your healing touch. These disciples went about. They went out. They obeyed Jesus. They began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Preaching, that's believing. Healing, that's doing. Preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would anoint. Wow, there's a fire. Wow, there it is right there. Father, that you would anoint for healing. You would anoint for deliverance. You would anoint for restoration. You would anoint for the divine rebuke. Father, that you would anoint with boldness. You would anoint with prophecy. You would anoint with faith. You would anoint with wisdom. You would anoint with knowledge. You would anoint with interpretation. You would anoint with miracles. But Father, I also ask that you would pour the oil over their heads. And you would ordain them into your gospel ministry. You would ordain them. And that you would speak the word to them. Trust me. Follow me. Listen to me. Follow my steps. Your plans were clever, but they're not my plans. You can trust my plans. You don't have to come. Oh, goodness. I want to let you go, but give me, give me two minutes. I just feel like the Lord is on this. Some of you, your whole life you've had to come up with your own plan, and the Lord is like, no, no, no. You live in a different kingdom now. You can trust I have a plan. You can trust I have a plan, and I'm redeeming you. Father, I pray right now deliverance, freedom, and anointing over these, your people, In the name of Jesus. I declare freedom over your life right now. Freedom over your life right now in the name of Jesus. Freedom over your life. We release healing and peace. In Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Give a clap offering to the Lord if you would.
Now, on behalf of Tracy and I, I want to thank you all who celebrated a, a, a Pastor Appreciation Day. Just keep playing that there. I want to thank you all. I believe there's donuts because I eat donuts. That's why my middle area looks like a donut. Um, well, we want to thank you. We love you. It's an honor. It's an honor to pastor you. We consider it a divine privilege uh, that, you, um, that you allow us to speak into your life and that um, you would come and fellowship among us, that you would give and that you would serve. It is a true blessing for us. And uh, we love you all. And give another clap offering to the Lord. And we love you. Give it up for our worship team. Thank you. Bless you. Amen.